Good morning. Hey, good morning. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you today? I'm doing well, man. I uh I apologize about that. I sent the link out yesterday, but I don't know. I'm not sure. Not sure what happened, but we're here, so that's all that matters. We are here. We are here. I just try to check my spam and make sure that I miss it. But like you said, we're here. All right. So, um, is anything off um off the table? Anything too personal? Just one. As far as in what regards? Um, just about your personal life, like the story, like how you grew up, um, with your family, things like that. No, not particularly. Okay. Okay. Sounds good. Sounds good. Okay. All right. Let's get to it. All right. All right. Welcome to the Schoolhouse Podcast. The objective of the Schoolhouse Podcast is to provide a safe place for educators, and let's go ahead and get into the podcast. Um, can you please introduce yourself? Uh, hello, my name is Dr. Sean Woodley. I am the CEO and founder of the educator movement, Teach, Hustle, Inspire. Uh, to teach means to unlock intellectual treasure. The hustle is about how we can't stop learning and we won't stop learning, and the inspire means to spread love and light. Okay, okay. And, and honestly, man, I have been watching your movement for a while. You have the um gold t-shirts. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Man, that's a, I was like, that is pretty cool. That is pretty cool, man. I really do. I really do like your movement and what you have going on. So if you can tell, mm-hmm. tell, tell the people, how did you, you know, how did you grow up? How was it for you grow up? How how was it for you growing up? Sorry. Absolutely. Uh, no problem at all. Uh, first, I wanted to offer my thanks and appreciation for allowing me to join your show today. Um, definitely don't take it lightly when someone invites me to be a part of their platform. So shout out to you. And I appreciate this opportunity. Um, I am currently, I currently reside in Atlanta, but I grew up in New York. Uh, I grew up on Long Island, New York, and I like to say when I run my workshops and training events, um, even deliver keynotes, I've experienced uh, urban education pretty much from all sides. So I was uh, grew up in, taught in, researched in, and now work with educators that serve in urban and culturally diverse communities. Um, my upbringing with my parents um, was really, really, it was my parents served as an example for me to see um, what love is, how to raise children, even without all of the resources that, you know, we, I, I, I always like to say, I may not have had everything that I wanted, but I sure enough had everything that I needed. And my parents made sure that regardless of the circumstances or anything that was going on, we never went one single day without knowing where our next meal was coming from. At least it wasn't made aware to us as young children. And so we always had the the presence and the demonstration of love in our home. Education was definitely a priority. My mom, Uh, was one to read to, at the time, my brother and I, and then I had sisters that uh, came along later, but my brothers, you know, my mom read to us every single day. 
and literature was something that was very important to her. And it was something that paid off. It allowed us to have a good firm foundation so that when we got into school, we had something upon which we can stand. And she didn't wait for us to get enrolled into school for them, for it to be the responsibility of the school to educate us. Education started at home for us. And so that's something that even as an adult, I very much appreciate. Um, went on to you know middle high school, ended up going to college. I went to an HBCU, the, the, the wonderful, illustrious Hampton University in Hampton, Virginia. Probably one of the single, I'd say top three best decisions of my life. And uh, it was just an all around wonderful experience. The HBCU experience is, not, is like nothing you could ever imagine. Even to this day, I've graduated almost 20 years ago. And to this day, I mean, I'm talking lifelong, not just people that I know, I'm talking about lifelong relationships. Mm. brothers. Uh, my wife went there. We have a family now. All of these things came from that wonderful, wonderful institution. And so now with the career path that I am on, still in the education space, just serving from a different side, I owe a lot of that to my upbring upbringing with my parents and to my place coming out of NHBCU, most definitely. Wow, that's um, that's pretty impressive, man. So when you mention, you know, you 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 know, standing like your parents were very involved in your education growing up mm -hmm. in New York. Were there any were there any pain points or anything that you struggled with, you know, during your academic career? Was it hard for you to make friends, or was it? Was it a little challenging for you academically to understand what was going on, you know, in the classroom? I think like anybody else, I had my challenges, of course. Mm -hmm. There were, you know, days, many days where I didn't want to do the work, the assignments. Um, I didn't want to be there. Now, having been on the other side of it, from the teaching side, from the research side, from the practitioner side, really I can attribute it to basically a miss, how do I want to phrase this? A lot of times when educators are taught to teach, they get into the classroom and find themselves swimming upstream, climbing uphill almost daily. And basically the fundamentals of what it comes down to is many of us are skilled in the content, but not in the connection side of it, the connection with the students, the connection, making sure that there is a connection to the peers and a connection to the work. If you really think about the experiences that you had, and I'm talking, when I say you, I mean actually me, a lot of the experiences that I had where, where I struggled, it was because there was no interest, there was boredom at the root of it for me. Many times we feel students should engage with learning for the sake of learning. And whether we like to admit it or not, that unfortunately is not a good enough reason. Mm. We mm. have to get good with understanding the behavior science side of it and understanding what truly motivates people to act and have to get past the fact that whether it is our own experience, whether it is our own, this is just what you're supposed to do, what we have to get past the fact that students should learn just for the sake of learning, that, that that's, that's passe. 
That doesn't work. That is an antiquated model. And we have to really understand who it is that we serve. More importantly, what motivates them to act and move. And that will facilitate higher levels of achievement, higher levels of engagement and instruction. Knowing who it is that you serve and knowing what will make them act. Wow. And man, just so basically, you know, when teaching, just I just want to make sure it's making sense, you know, like not just teaching the content, but actually, you know, outside of the content, getting them motivated to want to be there, to want to learn. So what made you stumble across, you know, I always like to ask, what made you stumble across, you know, education? You could have chose any other major, but you chose mm-hmm. education. I got into education kind of as a fallback plan. I've always been a creative, whether it was art or music from very early on, I was just a fan of creativity and particularly music, played sports and everything when I was younger, but I kind of came to the crossroads when I was in high school. I had to make a decision. Do I want to play football or do I want to be in the band? And as luck would have it, the decision was made for me because I broke my leg. And so I couldn't play football. And so I just went full steam ahead with uh, being in the band. I was on the drum line and loved it. Decided that I wanted to really go further with this. I was playing drums in the church and my dad was the musician uh, on the organ. And so it was pretty much us that was the heartbeat of, you know, the music ministry. And I, I loved every single minute of it. Wanted to continue that professionally. This is, you know, we're talking about in the 90s here. So in my mind, like I'm going on the road and I'm touring with Usher or Total or SWV, but that didn't quite pan out. I got to college and uh, realized that, all right, my level of skills is not quite what I thought it was compared to everybody else because I was a very good drummer, but when I got to college, everybody else was a better drummer. And so it was one of those things where I had to really come to the realization and humble myself and realize, all right, let's, let's make sure that we're, we're balancing this thing out. And fortunately, before I got to college, one of my high school teachers gave me some really good advice to... Yes, you can study music, but you also have the opportunity to study music and education. And mm-hmm. so once I got to, I think it was my June, my sophomore year and started having those education courses and the psychology behind it, the behavior science side of it, it was really fascinating and interesting to me. Did some observations, graduated, did my student teaching and really enjoyed it. And so that was how I ended up in education particularly. Um, But even when I graduated, I finished my master's degree. I didn't go into teaching right away. I actually went in another direction because I had kind of now hindsight being 2020, I realized the itch was entrepreneurship, but I just couldn't verbalize it at the time. I just knew I wanted to do something business-wise. So I actually started working at a bank. I started working at a bank, um, did that for about a year and change. It was miserable. Like after I got out of that initial what do they call honeymoon phase of just having a new career and a new exciting opportunity. Once that faded out in about six weeks, it was miserable for me, absolutely miserable. And so that was another calling for me to just, you know, experience something, but now it's time to go where I am supposed to be. And that was in the classroom. 
And when you start working into when you start working in a bank, did you was you said after you got your master's? Mm-hmm. It was a okay. it was a five year program, so I went straight through. I did four years undergrad, and then one year for my master's degree. And so when I came out from that, I started working full time at a bank. Yep. Got you, got you, got you. Mm-hmm. So how was it? And I and I remember, I think I remember a little bit of you explaining your story how it was. For your first year being an educator, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so I would love for you to tell how was that experience for you as your first year as an educator. Well, at the time, it I, I would have told you that everything is going well. At the time, I would have said that I am enjoying this. I'm where I'm supposed to be, which is all true um, for the most part. Hindsight, again, being 2020. Um, my first year or two, I started to really have some, I had some good experiences. It was a learning experience. I felt like I was supposed to be there, but it was, a, there were a lot of growing pains as well and, um, started to really fall into, started to fall into what it is that I'm fighting against, meaning the system, meaning oppressive teaching acts that hold down black and brown children and creating a learning environment of strict, disconnected, cold fear in the classroom. And that was not who I desired to be as a person or as an educator. And so I began to make some changes, start to research, start to change myself. When I run my workshops and my speaking engagements and train teachers, what I have to really drive home is the fact that especially when you're working with underserved, undervalued, underloved, traditionally oppressed communities, many of the changes that we have to make, we're we're masterful at our content area. It's the personal development side that we have to get good at, which is going to better fuel our professional development. I had to go down and break down the personal side of Sean so that I can get better professionally. I had to break down the personal side of Sean and get past the fact that I was perpetuating things that were, were truly and systemically oppressive to people that look like me. And that was a wake up call for me and allowed me to have a lot better success. Subsequent years after that, we are getting state level recognition, teacher of the year. I'm getting you know honors and accolades from the school district because of the success that was happening in my classroom. And what that told me clear as day was that there was brilliance there literally the entire time. I just needed to become the person that could unlock it. Got you. Got you. So you, you know, working more so in on the personal side of things. Now, when you say um, oppressive teaching acts, can you mm-hmm explain what did you what did you mean by that sure uh basically feeling like i have to control and i have to control quote unquote those kids creating an environment where discipline is the focus not joy for my students creating an environment where i am overly concerned with making sure that they follow these policies and procedures and not that they're actually enjoying enjoying me, the act of learning and taking the time to get to know who it is that I'm serving. Straight oppressive practices. 
Got you. Got you. So how did you create that dynamic and culture? Like practically, what did that look like once you realized, okay, this is this is not healthy for for my students? So how did you create an environment where it was, you know, where they still listened to you and and they were able to follow your lead? Well, that's yet. what I was mentioning about the, the personal transformation. Gotcha. And it was a journey of basically understanding my emotional intelligence and heightening that. I, I consider myself someone that was pretty self-aware and, you know, socially aware, but I, for whatever reason, left that out of the classroom. And that is a natural skill and ability that I have. So I just was able to now bring that into the classroom and leverage that, that level of emotional intelligence and cultural awareness to break down those barriers that I had built. It took some time, but it ended up working in my favor. Gotcha, gotcha. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's, and how long, were, how long were you a teacher before you uh, jumped into uh, entrepreneurship? I, well, I kind of did both simultaneously for a little while. So I taught 10 years at the K-12 level. I taught five years at the university level. And the last mm, four to five years of teaching in general, I was an entrepreneur. Okay. So you were pursuing mm-hmm. both at the same, at the same time. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay. So, okay. Got you. So about, so you say you've been a, you, you've been a full-time entrepreneur for the last four to five years. I've been a full-time entrepreneur now going on. Um, I only left the classroom uh, less than a year ago. Oh, but, wow. So okay. while I was teaching the last four or five years of my teaching, I was also simultaneously an entrepreneur. Does that make, does that make sense? Yeah, I got you. I got you. I follow mm-hmm. you now. I follow yep. you now. Yep. So what, um, what college did you uh, teach at? I taught at a school called Western Governors University. Western Governors University. Okay, mm-hmm. nice, nice. Okay, so how... What now? I know you said you always had this desire of entrepreneurship. What mm-hmm. made you? What made you make that transition to say, okay, I'm a teacher, mm-hmm. but now I want to be an entrepreneur. How did that mindset? How did that mindset? What when? When was that mindset shift for you? If that it question. started to happen for me around that time when I began to make those personal changes to have success in my classroom. Those personal changes fueled with my continual professional growth allowed my students to excel. And what I began to see was my students were doing well. Other students in my same community, it was a rather large um, urban school district. But when I looked at the number, when I looked across the landscape, that wasn't universal. So that told me that there were some things that I knew there, there were some things that I was good at that I needed to help more people get good at. And so that kind of sparked this opportunity and sparked this idea for me to do more. And unfortunately that just could not happen in the confines of my classroom. It was, I I like to think of, I like to think of it in these terms. Many of us feel that we have purpose. We are called to do something. What I've also come to understand is that for me, my purpose evolves. And so at that particular time, I was my purpose would be in that classroom. What happened subsequently is my purpose began to evolve to serve on a higher level. Now, one of the things that I had to also come to grips with 
is that my skill set lied in the space of being an educator. Being an entrepreneurship is night and day from being an educator. And so it wasn't just like, okay, well, I'm this entrepreneur now. Book me for these speaking engagements and these training opportunities. It, it didn't happen like that. And okay. so there was a lot of humbling. There was a lot of going back to the drawing board. There was a lot of taking risks. There was a lot of reading. There was a lot of research. There was a lot of just outright guessing because the there was no course that said, if you're a teacher and want to become an entrepreneur, here's what you do. Step one, do this. Step two, that did not exist. And so it was really just a journey for me but it fueled, I was fueled again, because my purpose was evolving. And so I was excited to go on that journey and learn as much as I could try some things. If it didn't work, all right, get knocked down, but let's get back up. If I, if I, I heard, I believe Denzel Washington said one time, if you get knocked down eight times, get up nine. And that's what I kept doing. Wow, man. That's pretty impressive. Thank you. That is pretty impressive, man. And so what, Okay, so let's um dive into it a little bit deeper. Now, you went in Teacher of the Year and you're getting recognized in the district, you know. Mm -hmm. So at this point, your name, your name is pretty known in your district, right? So was it did you try when you when you first were starting out, and I know you said that speaking engagements didn't just start, you know, falling in your lap when you first started in education i mean started in entrepreneurship but was it allowed to to try to do business within your district you know knowing that you already kind of had a name for yourself i i didn't approach it in in that manner um my my goal at that particular time wasn't try to wasn't to try and get speaking engagements right off the bat i was a little more calculated in what I did because I knew that there was just so much for me to learn. When I say took risks and and this was more this was later on like I probably say within, you know, the last 5 6 years or so, but at that time I went back to school actually um to become a full-time doctoral student and so that my focus was on my graduate studies. My focus was on becoming a better practitioner so that when I did take that leap, that I was better equipped. Mm, mm. So you knew that you, you felt like you had to get more credentials in order to be able to serve at a high level. I, I felt like not that I needed to have more credentials because there are people that do what I do without having a doctorate there was more that I wanted to learn before I stepped out in this capacity. Got you. You knew there was more. Okay. Okay. Got you. Got you. Got you. And so when you talk about, when you talk about research, what, what exactly were you in terms of researching when you started in your entrepreneurship journey? Well, the, the missing pieces, because I had the content expertise. What I did not have was the SEO expertise, the marketing expertise, the branding expertise, the networking expertise as far as relationship building from an entrepreneurship aspect. None of that I had. I had to learn how to build a website. I had to learn how to 
copyright for a website. I had to learn how to uh, understand things such as conversions and, you know, all of those types of business tactics, things that I had no clue what they were. But if I wanted to establish myself, if I wanted to make sure that I was taking serious, taken seriously and build credibility, those, these were all things that I had to learn. And so I got comfortable with doing things for myself because number one, I had no choice. I, I didn't have the money to pay someone to build a website for me. So I, it was either learn to do it myself or don't do it at all. That's, that's the type of research. And, and the good old YouTube and Google were my best friends. As a matter of fact, they still are. Got you. Got you. Okay. Okay. And mm-hmm. so you were pretty much just in the entrepreneurship journey, learning, learning as you go. Mm-hmm. Pretty much. That's that is exactly what it was. Got you. Learning as mm-hmm. you go. Okay. That sounds, that sounds pretty good. In now, in the entrepreneurship, in the entrepreneurship journey, usually is your, when did things start to get better for you? And you knew that it was time for you to say, it's time for me to put this profession down because you say you just left the classroom recently last year. And now you're looking to, now you're doing it full time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So what, how did you know? How did you know that it was time to leave your job completely? It basically goes to the point I made before about my purpose evolving and me trying to juggle teaching my college students and teaching current practitioners, current teachers and being on the road. Frankly, it began to become a lot because one way or the other, someone was going to have to, someone, something was going to have to take the hit. I am, I'm a husband and a father. And so it was me, me juggling being uh, a dad, a husband, an entrepreneur, and still a teacher. I'm not going to take that from my family. And so I had to make a decision. It's either going to be one side of this equation or the other. As I told you, my purpose was growing. And so I made the tough choice to go into entrepreneurship full time because I feel that I can serve on a higher capacity. Uh, It allowed me to just get comfortable with it. Now, it's not as easy as saying, all right, well, you know, here's my resignation letter. There were some structures and systems that I had to put in place to make sure that it was not just something that I felt was a good thing to do, but it made sense on paper. And so me and my wife, we sat down, looked at our budget, looked at what was coming in, made sure that we met with a financial planner, got some things in order as far as the logistics of insurance, um, retirement, all of those things to just that you normally have with a full-time job and you take for granted. And you just assume that those things will always be there. But as an entrepreneur, it's my responsibility to provide those things. And so we just wanted to go into it with sound counsel and making sure that we were not putting ourselves at a disadvantage by me becoming a full-time entrepreneur. Wow. And that's, and I mean, I think that's good information to know, especially for Mm -hmm. teachers who may be inspired to be, you know, in, into still wanting to do education, but from an entrepreneur standpoint Mm -hmm. that, you know, 
that you're responsible for your own insurance and, and your own health care. Can you kind of explain how did that exactly work in terms of like as an entrepreneur having your own health care insurance and your own basically insurance pretty much? Sure, sure. Basically, it, it's called, I want to say they're appropriate or somewhere around. It's like marketplace insurance. Basically, that's what Obamacare is. So when you, any organization or company that you work for, and this is, this may not be all around, but just in the gist of, of speaking in generalities, the organization already has a connection with the healthcare agency and they have an insurance plan with, let's just say, Cigna. And you have these different options of plan A, plan B, or plan C. And this, you know, depends with your family and your different needs, what level that you're going to opt in for, and you pay accordingly. And they might take out, you know, let's just say $200 out of every paycheck, and that covers your entire family, dental, whatever it may be. I'm just, again, speaking in generalities. That is something where that comes out of your paycheck, and by the time you get paid, your insurance comes out, FICA and all those things come out. Those are things you just never see it. When by the time it hits your direct deposit, what's left is what's for you. And then you go and live off that. As an entrepreneur, I have to be aware that when I sign up for insurance, I have to choose from a bunch of different categories, a bunch of different insurance types of what will work best for me and my family. See who, you know, we have a primary care physician for our kids, for my wife and I. So just seeing, okay, who's in network here? Do I have to switch because it costs too much? You have to consider all of these things. And now I'm paying for this insurance 100% out of my pocket. So when my clients pay me, now I have to pay the insurance company in order to keep full coverage and making wow. sure that we are covered in the event that something happens. I also have to be aware, and this is a completely, totally different conversation, but relevant. I also have to be aware of taxes. When you work for... The school system, when you work for an organization, those taxes are taken out up front. When you're an entrepreneur, you have to pay those taxes on the back end. And so that is something that you have to be cognizant of as well. Mm, interesting. That is good to know. And when mm. you and when you are going into the when you do your when you do your presentations, mm -hmm. how does that work? Like, do you normally practice a lot of what you're going to say or do you just I mean because you've been in this field for so long and I'm pretty sure you, you're used to doing presentations because you were you were once a professor do you mm -hmm. do you just do you just create your um presentation on your slideshow and you just like boom let's get let's go or do you prepare yourself mentally like what's the mindset behind your presentations before you present like what do you normally do it varies based on client need because I serve many different clients in the education space. It's not just schools. Sometimes okay. it can be a school. Sometimes it can be uh, a, a particular facet of the school, like the leadership team, or maybe the K through two teachers, or sometimes it's at the division level where it's something for the entire district, or sometimes it's only for first grade teachers. So, so it just depends on the need, first and foremost. Um, it could be something where it's a conference level. So now, for example, I just was in Las Vegas last week for a, a large conference there. So this, the client need here, the clientele, are educators at all different levels. You have levels as far as experience, you have levels as far as position. 
So I have to give a message that is going to speak to everyone, regardless of if it's their first day or their 10th year. I have to speak to everyone in a sense of they'll get the message regardless of if they are a teacher, paraprofessional, or a superintendent. And that craft is going to be a different approach than if I'm hired to work at a school with just the first grade teachers. Does that make sense? That makes sense. I got you. I got you. Mm-hmm. Okay. So tailoring, tailoring the message to the client need pretty much. Correct. Correct. Gotcha. And, and it goes back to what I said earlier. I have to know who my audience is, just like any good educator. I have to know who is in front of me that I'm serving because the message has to be relevant. Got you, got you. And through throughout your education career, can you say like a lot of a lot of the clients that you have now or people that you've worked with, these relationships these relationships were built just over time of you working in the education system? Or was there a different type of marketing strategy that you were able to use? It's a little bit of both. I do have some clients from previous schools and systems that I worked and or taught in, most definitely. Most of my clients have evolved and come from either previous clients or they um, from, for example, if I go and speak at a conference and the message resonates, wow, this really spoke to me. I know that this could help at our school how can we work with you? And it just develops from there. And so I'm a big relationship person. I like to connect with my clients, not just in a business way, but what you find is that when there's alignment in personal and core values, there's much likely of a greater chance of you doing business and you doing business over a longer period of time. Um, I, I don't, frankly, I don't work with every single person that is offering to pay me. Um, because it's not in my best interest. It is not in my best interest because sometimes schools, school districts, they have a different philosophy than what I do. And that's okay. If I, if my alignment and my core values are going this way, but yours are going that way, and we see that it's just not a good fit, then guess what? It's just not a good fit. And there's nothing wrong with that. Right, right. Got you, got you, got you, got you. That is... um. That all the information that you've shared was pretty good. I I definitely like what you shared when you when you talked about there was a switch that you had to change at the very beginning of your education c- career to reach mm-hmm. the students. So that was um that was pretty that was really inspiring to hear that. All right, so we are about to come to a conclusion of the Schoolhouse podcast, but before we leave, I always like to ask. Where do you see yourself in the next five years? Well, that is, in the next five years, I, I just hope to continue to be making a difference. We're, we're growing right now by leaps and bounds. And so how that will continue to snowball, it's hard to tell at this stage. But there are some things that I'm working on right now. It's still in the very, very early phases, but... Let's just say if these things come to fruition, then it's going to change the game for a lot of teachers and the students that they serve in urban and culturally diverse communities. It really will. I'm excited gotcha. about it. 
Got you. And where can the people find you? Where can people learn more about your movement and what you're doing? Sure. My website is teachhustleinspire.com. I'm on pretty much all forms of social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. You can search the hashtag Teach Hustle Inspire or just search for me at Teach Hustle Inspire or on Twitter. It's just my first and last name at Sean Woodley. Teach Hustle Inspire was too long. Got you, got you. Okay, sounds great. Thank you all for listening to the Schoolhouse Podcast. And that concludes our podcast. And we are out. Thank you. Thank you. Hello?